This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, so if you, if you have a Bible and you want to open it up, please do. Uh, we're going to look at uh, the story of Saul, and uh, the title is Blind, But Now I See. Saul's conversion, N.T. Wright writes this. We call this event a conversion, but it was more like a volcanic eruption, thunderstorm, and tidal wave all coming together. If the death and resurrection of Jesus is the hinge on which the great door of history swung open at last, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was the moment when all the ancient promises of God gathered themselves up rolled themselves into a ball and came hurtling through that open door and out into the wide world beyond. Saul, the zealot. What we've discovered about Saul so far is that he was present in Jerusalem when the first follower of Jesus, Stephen, was stoned to death. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He did not actually throw stones. He was watching the cloaks of those that were throwing the stones, but he agreed completely. This Jew named Stephen, who was following Jesus, deserves to die. In his own words, in Philippians, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. See, Stephen was not obeying the Torah the way that Saul thought he should obey. So he deserved to die. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, doing the law, doing the 613 laws that were pulled from the Old Testament, I obeyed the law perfectly. By his own admission, Saul was a zealot. Now, I'm not sure we appreciate the full impact of that. So I just want to read you some quotes, again from N.T. Wright, about how zealous Saul was and exactly what that zeal was for. Saul's persecution of the church and the word zeal, which, with which he describes it, we just read that passage, puts him firmly on the map of a certain type of first century Judaism. It reveals Saul of Tarsus, not just as a Jew, but as a Pharisee. And not just as a Pharisee, but as a Shemite Pharisee. Not just perhaps as a Shemite Pharisee, but as one of the strictest of the strict. Shemite is a school of thought. That's a, that's a rabbi. He followed a particular rabbi. And Paul was very, very strict in adherence to what that school, that viewpoint taught. Saul would have grown up in a world of fierce debate and party loyalty. 
Not only was he a Jew in a world run by pagan goyim, which is Gentile, Hebrew word for Gentile. Not only was he a Pharisee in a world where, from the Pharisee's point of view, many Jews were seriously compromised with aspects of paganism. He was a Shemite, a hard-lined Pharisee, what we today would call a militant right-winger. The extreme right wing of the Shemites merged into the general viewpoint which we might think of as zeal. Zeal for a holy revolution in which the pagans would be defeated once and for all and which as well renegade Jews would either be brought into line, agree with us, we're right, you're wrong, or be destroyed along with the pagans. That gives you a flavor of what it means when Paul says, I was zealous, I was a zealot, I was a persecutor of the church. I had a worldview. My worldview was very narrow. I believed that every Jew needed to be just like me. They needed to follow just like me. They needed to obey just like me. And when they weren't following like me, they're renegade. And therefore, they need to be dealt with. They need to be dealt with either they need to be corrected and come in line with what I think or they need to be destroyed, like Stephen, killed. So as he goes to Damascus, that's what this story is going to be about. He's going to Damascus to round up renegade Jews in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples. Literally, he was breathing murderous threats. And all this time is the time between the stoning of Stephen and the time we've been in Samaria with Philip. So the time where where the, the, the first followers, the Jews following Jesus in Jerusalem, are driven out of Jerusalem... See, Jerusalem is, in his mind, Saul's mind, we're, we're cleansing Jerusalem. Drive out the renegade Jews. They don't need to be here. This is holy ground. Drive them out. And so as they go out, Philip being one of them, went into Samaria. And so this whole city, here's the story of Jesus. There's great joy. People are baptized. People receive the Spirit. We have the Ethiopian eunuch. So all of that's happening. So these great things are happening. And yet you have this Saul breathing these murderous threats. Somehow I've got to put a stop to this. This isn't right. We've got to get a handle on these Jews. So he's out for the kill. He went to the chief priest and he got arrest warrants to take to the synagogues, the meeting places in Damascus. That's in Syria. So that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He set off. When he got to the outskirts of Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. As he fell to the ground, he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered, Who are you, Lord, Master? I am Jesus, the one you are hunting down. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. 
I want you to get up and enter the city, and in the city you'll be told what to do next. His companions were dumbstruck. They could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into to Damascus. He continued blind for three days. He ate nothing. He drank nothing. The road to Damascus from Jerusalem would have taken Saul and his companions into the Jordan River Valley, up to Galilee, to Capernaum, to the Sea of Galilee, and then off over the Golan Heights to Damascus, about 135 miles north northwest of Jerusalem. He was on, on, his, on the route. What he's going after are these renegade Jews. So, so Saul has been part of purging Jerusalem of these renegade Jews. These Jews that are following Jesus, we, we want them out of the city. We want to persecute them. Get rid of them. And so they go out into Samaria. Some of them go beyond Samaria to Damascus, Syria. Why Damascus, Syria, I, have, I don't know. I, I uh, tried to find like maybe a little hint of why in the world, why would Saul be so interested in the synagogues in Damascus? I don't know. Damascus is interesting and it's, it's, it's probably the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world. It's got lots of history. So I, I don't know, maybe you just got news. Hey, I hear there's some Jews that are following Jesus. They're in Damascus. I'm after, maybe it's, just, maybe it's just part of the zeal. Man, this guy is even bypassing Samarians, going all the way to Syria. I don't know. But in his zeal, I mean, he's just breathing murderous threats against Jews. And don't, you know, these are Jews, just like him, except they don't have the same viewpoint about Jesus. That's, that's it. Now, going along with them, they have the same viewpoint about the kingdom. They don't have the same viewpoint about the law. I mean, all that's changing, but, but to breathe murderous threats because people have a difference of opinion about Messiah, the kingdom, and the law? And he's securing arrest warrants. And Luke makes it clear, it's, he's not just going after the men. He's going after the women, too. And the chief priest in Jerusalem had authority over Jews spread abroad. So he's getting official papers. So if he finds any of these people of the way, people belonging to the way, in Damascus, in a synagogue, then he can arrest them on the spot and he can bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and probably death. Now that little phrase, belonging to the way, it caught my attention, I'm sure it would yours if you're reading the paragraph. And to, to be honest, there is no, according to one word book, there's no solid explanation of the origin of this unique usage, which in the New Testament is limited to Acts. But possibly, if Jewish opponents do not call the Christian message a false doctrine, they certainly state it to be one view among others, a view which is held only by a small, unauthorized group and which has no binding force. So they called it hadas or hodas. The way is the Greek word. 
It's the Christian term for which the same phenomena as the Jewish opponents of the gospel called hieresis, which hieresis would be the Greek word behind heresy. And what, what, what they're meaning is the people of the way, the people belonging to the way, are Jews that are part of a different school. Saul is of the school of the Shemites. He's looking at the Jews that are following Jesus as being of the school of Jesus. They're, they're, they have a different view. They have a different teaching. The view that's represented by this school following Jesus is the way. It's not quite a heresy, but when Saul and others spoke about the people belonging to the way, Jews belonging to the way, or Jews following Jesus, it would have been very disparagingly. They looked down upon them. And as Saul is moving down this road, a very destructive path, Jesus shows up. And Jesus calls his name, not in Israel, not in the Galilee, not in Samaria, not along the Jordan River, not in Judea, but he calls his name in Syria, outside of the city of Damascus. And as they're coming along the path, I mean, all of a sudden, out of the blue, there's this voice and this flash of light, and it's enough like to, to, to knock Saul to the ground. Saul! Saul! Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Master? I mean, obviously, he recognized there's someone of great authority that's just called my name. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up, get into, get into Damascus, and then I'll tell you what to do. And as Saul gets up, he's totally blind. And has to be led by the hand into Damascus. Well, this story is going to continue, but I, I want to just stop there. And just as, as we are people of the way, we are people who belong to Jesus. We are people following Jesus. I don't think anyone in the room is of Jewish heritage. We're down Gentiles following Jesus. But it's the same thing. There's some things for us to talk about in our history from this event. I know that occasionally people will come and put on our grid or people will grab me and they'll say, have you heard that the followers of Jesus in XYZ are being persecuted? Or I have this, this growing group of people that come to me with grave concerns about, hey, the church in America is being persecuted. So like, it's like, persecu I mean, persecution is still with us, right? I mean, persecution, I mean, it's really not anything new. It started at the beginning, and it's continued to our day. So there's some things about persecution of those that belong to Jesus that come off the pages of this story that I think we should be reminded of.
The first one is persecution of those who belong to Jesus to Jesus is persecution against Jesus. Persecution of those who belong to Jesus is persecution against Jesus. You see, if, if I was being persecuted, and truthfully, I don't have any memory in my life of being persecuted. I've been, I've been able to follow Jesus freely. I've been able to talk about Jesus freely. No one's ever, no one's ever thrown the stones at me. No one's ever, like, kicked me out. No one's ever told me to leave New Braunfels. You know, go, go to, well, maybe close. <laughs> uh, but if I were, I mean, if, if I were a follower of Jesus at this time and I was hiding out in Damascus because I'd been driven out and now this guy is coming to arrest me, then I, I would be tempted to say, Jesus, where are you? And what this is telling us is Jesus is saying, I'm right there with you. Because anytime my people, anytime my body is persecuted, I'm being persecuted. I'm right there. Nothing can happen to you that won't happen to me. I'm with you. I will always be with you. Now, that doesn't mean that that persecution always stops. But it means that Jesus is always there with us. If things really go to hell in a handbasket, Jesus is there. If our worst suspicions about where the government is going and secularization, if that... Jesus is still with us. And anything bad that happens to us is happening to him. That comforts me. He hasn't abandoned me. He's actually taking it on himself. Then here's the remarkable thing. That if that's happening, there is a point that Jesus will defend his body. And he defends his body by actually saving those who are opposing him. He does not commit himself to destroying those that are opposing him. He commits himself to saving those. Saul was not a good guy. Saul was a religious know-it-all. Saul was a a self-righteous SOB. He would not have been a fun guy to hang out with. He would have been hypercritical because you're not doing it the way it's supposed to be done. And I know because I do it perfectly. And these people of the way, we need to wipe them out. They either agree with me or we kill them. Now, if there ever was a person that Jesus could say, I'm getting rid of that guy. He could have been that person. And yet, what does Jesus do? This is the person that Jesus is going to turn into the apostle for the Gentile world. Now, who does that to their enemies? Who changes the course of someone who persecutes the church 
who kills the followers of Jesus into someone that is entrusted with the mysteries of the gospel of the kingdom. Who does that? What is that? What, what, what kind of unconditional love, what kind of mercy is that? That's our God. So if there's any enemy in your mind who's coming against the church today, you know what God wants to do? He wants to save them from the destruction that they're causing themselves and others. He doesn't want to destroy them. The gospel we have is not a gospel of condemnation. It is a gospel of salvation. So God's not condemning anyone. God's saving. Jesus defends his body against persecution by saving those who oppose him. And the last thing, you know, maybe, maybe it's highly interpretative. I, I mean, I'm, I'm drawing from Mr. Wright. And how could he be wrong? <laughs> See, I, I know where I live. And I know the people that I hang out with. And I know that folks around me in my city, part of the church that I belong to, that's you know, bigger than this congregation, we're part of a bigger thing. We feel very threatened. We feel threatened by the paganism, the secularization, the humanism of our God. We're feel, we feel threatened by that. We feel threatened by people of other religions. We feel threatened by immigrants who have another religion. I mean, I hear that every week. And I think that you and I, as a community of people that belong to Jesus, we have got to resist. What? what N.T. Wright calls right-wing militaristic zeal. It's a real temptation to think, you know, the, just our, our whole worldview, everything, we, the way we think things are supposed to be, it, we're being threatened, so therefore... We need to take matters into our own hands and in the name of Jesus, we're right to do that. And let's get rid of them. Let's wipe them out. Either they convert or they're done. I mean, am I the only one that is around people like that, that hears that? Thank you. Because I was really thinking I was all alone. So could I just say, this is, this is where my burden is. If we're going to arm ourselves, and if we're going to take things into our own hands, and we're going to deal with the enemies of God, 
that's not the way of Jesus. Here it is. I mean, show me. Show me where Jesus took the life of another. This story is about a God that gave his life for his enemies. We are to be people that give our life for those that oppose us, if that's what it takes. Take my life. I know where I'm going. You actually can't kill me. You can kill this body, but you can't kill my soul because I'm resurrected, buddy. And I want to confront you with the love of God. There is a God that loves you in spite of your hate for me. There is a God that loves you. There is a God that loves you in spite of your hate for him. He loves you. And if, if it means that you take my life so that you're saved, so be it. Now, where are the people of God going to stand up and say, that's what we believe, that's what we are? So if you're hearing this same stuff, folks, it's time for us to stand up and say, that, what is that? What are you talking about? Have you gone insane who are you following? You've done what? Where did your trust go? And go, I mean, when, when Israel trusted in their own strength, when Israel trusted in their military might, it was over. Trust the Lord. Because when things are going bad for my people, they go bad for me, Jesus says. And I will do something about it. But what I do about it is the opposite of what we would do about it. I'm going to bring life to those that oppose me, not death. So I, I think the temptation for us to become like Saul and to purge the church and to purge the country of the infidels, I think it's a very real temptation for us. And I just want to know that we're going to stand our ground and we're going to say, no, no, we're not going down that path. And we can stand up to our friends and our family and say, no, that's not right. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. I had two friends that went to the gun range. And uh, one friend returned, and he's, I mean, he was like, he wasn't stone blind, he was stone deaf. Because somebody was opening up with an assault weapon next to him, and he didn't have enough ear protection. Bam, 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 bam. And so at this men's Bible study, I just said, well, I mean, I don't think I want to go to the gun range with my friend because you end up deaf. And... <laughs> And my friend, with good humor, looked at me and said, don't even go there. <laughs> so I didn't go there. <laughs> it's not about gun ownership. It goes way beyond that. It goes to this attitude. Oh, God. Save those who are out to destroy. And, oh, God, keep me from joining that pack. 
Would you like to stand with me? Jesus, give us discernment. Give us understanding. Help us not to call persecution persecution when it's not persecution. And help us to readily discern persecution when it is persecution. Jesus, Help us to be people that don't have a chip on their shoulder. Help us to be people that realize that without you, people are lost. People do move towards paganism. People do move towards secularization without you. It's just a reality, Lord, in our world. And sometimes, oh Lord, people following you are are persecuted. But Lord, thank you for for this reminder in in our history that when we, your people, are persecuted, we're not alone. That you yourself are being persecuted along with us. And Lord, thank you that there is this moment that you break into human history and that with a loud voice and a big sound and bright light, you get a hold of those that are doing damage to your people who are persecuting you and the people that belong to you. And thank you that you save those that persecute you. Thank you for this, this, this testimony on the pages of history that you took Saul and, and you <laughs> saved him from destruction and you turned him loose to be the greatest proponent of faith in you to the Gentile world. Lord, 14 of the thing, the, the letters we read of the 27 in the New Testament are, are written by this, this person. So, Lord, you did something so unpredictable, so out of the box, so contrary. Lord, help us to be people that are like that following you. Lord, I pray that we would be people that would, would resist the temptation in our day to become militant zealots for things that are are precious to you, things that are right. But Lord, that's just not your way of handling them. Help us to be people that follow your way, that do things your way, that suffer in your way, that if it had to be that, that we would give our life for the sake of others, that they might know you. Lord, thank you for inviting us into something that just blows our mind that is so radically different. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to be a community that represents Jesus well. I pray that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, to begin to speak up to speak up with those that have a different view, that say they belong to you, and yet are so willing to possibly hate others or to trust in things other than you. Give us the courage to say, no, that's not Jesus. 
Empower us, Holy Spirit. Lord, we are grateful for this reminder off the pages of history of who you are and how you deal with those that oppose you. We bless you. We're in awe in your name. Amen. If you saved your prayer request and you would like some prayer, uh, we'll do that over here in this part of the room. Or if you just, I mean, it's just really hard for you uh, to resist the temptation into militaristic zeal, be glad to visit more and pray. Uh, if it's hard for you to say, you know, not just kind of join the crowd that's going to the gun range, you know, we can just the courage to say no. Uh, let's, we, those are things we can pray about and help each other with. So thank you for our time. We'll see you later.